You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It is late Thursday afternoon here, March 2nd. Boy, another busy week. I always like to wait till the end of the week to kind of give you a full overview of my picture this week. Certainly a lot has happened here, um, all based on Trump's big speech to Congress. And I want to piggyback off of that, off that speech, to go through some of the critical issues that are taking place now and how Trump could turn what was regarded as universally successful speech into action, save his presidency, um, actually turn it into somewhat of a conservative presidency, hopefully, save the Republican Party, and save this country. Quite a tall order there, but uh, there's a lot of problems. And, you know, as you see from just my vertical alone, conservative conscience here at the Conservative Review, we have covered so many, so many issues. A lot of people are asking me, man, Daniel, how do you have time to even write this much? Everyone on radio is asking me this question. Look, you know, when you when you believe in something with all your heart and soul, it comes very easy. Although I do spend a little bit too much time than I'm willing to admit, and I do need to spend more family time at some point. I, I, I hope to take a spring vacation. Uh, but But that's what it is. The problem is we don't have Republicans that A, understand the issues, and B, believe in them and their full, full heart and soul. It's evident on immigration. It's most evident on health care I'd like to talk about today. But anyway, you start off with Trump's speech. And I don't want to spend too much time you know, delving into the analysis of the speech because you know other people have done that. And I already have my piece out that I'll, um, you know, I'll link to in the show notes here. Let me just make a note of it to, to put it down there. Um, how Trump took... Really a conventional speech, but it was a grand slam for an unconventional president because he needed just that. He needed a good conventional speech. Um, basically, why it scored big is very simple. The American people are starving for something new. They're starving for innovation. They're starving to end politics as usual. The stale PC, you know, lobbyist bureaucratic driven nonsense they're starving to put america first they're starving for patriotism they're starving for pride and it was never trump's broad message that was a problem it was he's off message he's talking about the media all day he's fighting with the media he's uh you know, everyone in the administration is saying different things. Everyone in the Republican Party is saying different things. There's so much discord. And then the media is able to come in there, and then, in, you know, it's a vicious cycle. Then Trump goes and focuses on the media. And it's kind of like what Trump's almost been is like a substitute teacher that is kind of crying out and complaining about the misbehavior and the kids just eat you alive. Rather than coming in there with an iron fist and saying, here's our lesson. Take out your textbooks. Here's what we're doing. And that's what this speech was. It allowed him to speak with an unvarnished megaphone 
that's really the bully pulpit of the presidency. And you got to, you know, Reagan used it very effectively with speeches to Congress, speeches to the public. Um, and Trump, certainly more than anyone in history, has commanded that bully pulpit. And you got to utilize it for the right purposes. And he sounded presidential. He spoke about substance. It was forward looking, positive, uplifting. Now, to be clear, as I've said on Steve Day's show, some of you have seen me on other radio shows. I'm not saying this is a fully conservative speech, and I'm certainly not ceding ground on Ivanka care on the trillion dollar porculus, um, the lack of any mention of religious liberty and life. I'm going to double down on those issues. We're going to fight that tooth and nail. But at least on the issues he's good on, we need to back him. We need to give him a, a spine and we need to steer him in the right direction on the other issues. And the way to do that is by repeating what Trump did. Taking populism, and, and what is, populism is a tactic. It's not an ideology. And it, and it leads to bad places as it ends to itself. Populism, broadly speaking, is you speak to the popular sentiment of the public. You know, us versus them. Hey, these big guys, the big interests, the big, you know, whatever. And, you know, you could have progressive populism like Bernie Sanders. Oh, the, the rich people. Or you could have conservative free market populism. Now, I've been, you guys know me well by now, I've been probably one of the most populist writers on the right out there over the years. But again, it's rooted in constitutional populism. Populism is a vehicle towards an end. Constitutionalism, free markets, traditional values. Um, us versus them, the big lobbyists using the boot of big government to get involved in our lives. Sovereignty populism. It can work in any direction. He needs to harness that. Go around the country and give a series of policy speeches and do what the left did. And, and look, you know, every president uses props and he used, you know, them very effectively. But I would argue that a president does have the right and often the need to do that, certainly with the wife of the fallen Navy SEAL. But you use props. You spend, And I have several articles giving advice on what Trump should say on immigration, on health care. I did this before the speech. And, and broadly speaking, he did a good job. Now, some of the details of the healthcare proposal I want to get to are problematic. He's just eating out of uh, Paul Ryan's hands. But the macro messaging was good. He needs to give a series of speeches on immigration, speak to the morality of his views and the immorality of open borders, the immorality of what's going on in Europe. We spoke a little bit about this last podcast. And then you need to get everyone in your administration on the same the, the, the same uh, wavelength. So there's no leaks. There's no, you know, the media is saying, oh, your secretary of state is saying this. You know, I, I'm seeing stories about Tillerson wanting to water down the new executive order. And as of this broadcast, it still hasn't come out yet. I don't know what the deal is. I guess he's waiting with the whole session scandal now, which is a non-scandal, obviously. I don't want to get into that now. Uh, but Tillerson is trying to take um, Iraq off. Kelly and, and Mattis evidently agree. By the way, I I have a lot of problems, as you know, with those three. They're not what they're sold to be. Um, generals are the worst, especially this generation of generals. They are not patents. They're so predisposed based on what they've been doing to walking on eggshells in the Middle East. And ooh, we got to worry about the Arab street and what the Iraqis think of us. No, 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 I thought we elected Trump to, you know, the whole sentiment behind. No, wait a minute. You didn't do us favors. We did you a favor. We'll take your oil. Again, the, the mentality behind that is put America first. 
They say, what are you, all the, all the, all the contractors and interpreters that helped our military, we're going to, we're not going to let them in our country. First of all, it's 1% of the immigration we've had from Iraq, 135,000 or so immigrants over the last, uh, eight years or so. You know, you could make an exception, you could easily do that, whatever, but nonetheless, even beyond that, not all of them are good. We've had problems from interpreters and, Look, we're not in it to – we don't get involved in sectarian civil wars so we could get bogged down and then bring in immigrants. That's not our job. I'm sorry. If the cause is just, then then go in there. If it's not just, then don't, then don't get involved. But we're not in there to take in immigrants from sectarian civil wars and incur needless risk. It's not our job. But again, it's understandable. That's the mindset if you're a gen- the, the top general in Iraq, uh, Townsend – Mattis, Kelly, and then obviously Tillerson is not a general, but just total puke. I mean, I'm just not a fan. You know, you guys know my last podcast on him. Um, status quo, establishment, foreign policy thinking. But anyway, I don't want to digress too much into that and get off point here. Off message. Like, I don't want Trump to get off message. You got to get everyone on the same page. People are starving for something definitive, and that's what he did in this speech. It was one voice with a massive megaphone, and it was very you know, definitive. He needs to make everyone on the same page. Then he needs to, once you get your administration order, fire all the clowns. Everyone's you know, on the same page. Then come to Congress with a 10-point plan on regs, taxes, health care, and immigration, most importantly – and say, this is how it is. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, it's hard to herd cats. Yeah, because no one's making a definitive play. So then everyone's going to make weak need um, unilateral decisions. Collins and Murkowski will do their thing. Corker will do his thing. Ryan will do his thing. The president controls the agenda for the party, especially when it controls both the White House and, and the Congress. And you say, this is what it is. Then you go and give a series of policy speeches with a lot of props like I said, first starting with immigration. And, and you speak to the populism of the people, but again, gear it towards conservatism. That's our hope, at least. And then, and then you stop some of the media problems. So, you know, for example, as we speak now, the big story that washed away his successful speech well, is the Sessions thing. I, I don't need to tell you that it's a non-entity, it's a non-issue, um... Session said, in the capacity of a Trump surrogate, I never met with Russians. And like, oh, well, you met with them. You, you spoke to the ambassador at some sort of meeting. It wasn't a planned meeting. Like, you know, anyone who gives a speech, you speak to the guy. Yeah, as a senator on the Armed Services Committee, he did. You know, he's, he speaks to people all the time. Democrats spoke to them, too, on the committee. That's their job. But... Here's the deal. In politics, you either drive the narrative or you, or you get driven by the narrative. You become a victim of the narrative. If you are not making a definitive play, immigration policies and speeches, healthcare policies and speeches with specifics, now the media is going to criticize you, but it's going to be on your favorable territory. You're going to make them talk about your issues. Imagine if Trump would hold rallies with Bar- Barnell Stutzman and victims of religious liberty. Um, of of um, the rainbow jihad, I mean. Imagine that. They would have to cover that. They'll cover it negatively, but it will be about the issues we believe are winning. 
But when you're there where you're kind of like caught in a half-baked, weak position where you're kind of indicating you're going to do some conservative things and you elicit the blowback, but you don't actually do them and you don't speak to the morality of them, you don't use the bully pulpit like he did that night, they're, they're going to start finding scandals. And most of them are going to be non-scandals. I'm not saying I'm going to defend everything Trump does. You know that. Um, but that that's what they're doing now. If he were following up, and I know he did give some sort of lower key policy speech on board a ship today about the Navy, but he's got to tackle, it's got to be immigration and healthcare, and I really think there's the most imminent need for healthcare. And that's what I want to talk about for most of the remainder of the podcast. Trump's macro messaging was good. He actually said what I, what I asked him to do, pin the tail of blame on the donkey. You guys broke the system. You skyrocketed costs. You made it that 70% of counties have have no more than one or two insurers. The, doing nothing is not an option. You guys broke this. And he actually said the way to cover more people is by lowering prices. And that's what I intend to do. That was a beautiful line. I'm glad it was in there. You know, again, Stephen Miller, when <laughs> Trump needs to only speak from a teleprompter and have Stephen Miller write the speech and then, you know, Again, the, the paternalistic, big government, you know, some of the fiscal policies notwithstanding, it is what it is, um, and we're going to fight that. I'm not saying it is what it is, and I'm going to let it go. I mean, I'm just saying we're not going to change that directly, um, but it doesn't negate that, some, that, you know, when he speaks to policy, it's usually pretty good. That was a great line. The problem is, where are the specifics? And the few, and, you know, some specifics you talk about FDA reform, cross state lines, obviously, equal tax treatment. This is all, it's all going to be in my report coming out, God willing, next week, by the way. I've been, I've been spending a lot of time on it. 20 ideas for free market healthcare, free markets for a free people. It's going to be very easy to read, connecting the dots in plain English, why we are where we are in healthcare and why we need, and what we need to do. And that's what Trump needs to be doing. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, how do you get 51 votes in the Senate? You know, you lose just two, you know, you have so many rhinos there. But you know what? If he used the bully pulpit, and this is what we need people around him, not to eat out of Paul Ryan's hand, <clears throat> you know, because <clears throat> he started talking about refundable tax credits and pre existing conditions and all that. Like, Dude, you just said you want to lower costs, and the, the the two don't you know jive because mandates and subsidies and regs are going to inflate costs. But he needs to go around and speak to the morality of free markets. You know, Bernie Sanders is famous for declaring healthcare as a right, and he's actually right if you if you tweak his statement a little bit to read as follows. We have a natural right to free market healthcare. We have a right as a society, as consumers, entrepreneurs, businesses, providers, you know, doctors, healthcare professionals, to innovate on the healthcare supply side of things, on the insurance demand side of things, the way we want to innovate. We have the right to finally create a free market healthcare system that we have not had for 70 years with an open marketplace to innovate 
in the medical field the same way Uber, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, uh, Walmart, FedEx, UPS, Southwest Airlines, all of them have done in their respective fields and industries. They have the right to do it unencumbered by intervention and disruption from government um, working in tandem with lobbyists to secure and perpetuate the failed status quo. And this speaks to both Obamacare and really what was broken before Obamacare, and it was just exacerbated by, by the Leviathan itself. We have a right to free markets. That, that we do have the right to. You don't have a right to guaranteed income and guaranteed free stuff by government. But we have the right to pursue happiness and private property rights and contracts without <clears throat> the federal and state governments screwing us over. And that's what it is. <clears throat> Sorry here, just <coughs> overcoming a cold here. Caught from my wife and kids, <coughs> finally. But anyway, um, we have that right. You know, we always speak about when you create BS rights, you infringe upon the real unalienable rights, and that is a right. We do have a right to that, and we don't have it. Why is healthcare such a and Trump would be the perfect ambassador for this because he's perceived as this great innovator, great entrepreneur, successful businessman that will harness the, you know, common sense market forces and not do stupid things. I'm not saying he did this in his career, but I'm saying that's certainly the way he's perceived. And he needs to speak to this. He needs to use the bully pulpits and 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 again, this goes beyond right versus left. I would argue it's conservative, it's free market, but you don't even have to use those terms. You speak to common sense. We need to do what what Uber and Southwest Airlines did. At every turn, behind every nook and cranny of health care and health insurance, why there is no element of innovation, of modernization, of cost-cutting, of efficiency, it is all due to government interventions, subsidies, mandates and regulations and taxes you cannot regulate tax mandate and subsidize your way into prosperity it's just not going to happen it never will happen we've tried it and it's failed it's time to move on it's time to innovate it you could give a very uplifting almost like kennedy going to the moon type of speech that's what he need that is the speech he needs to deliver and we're going to list in our 20 ideas you could harness populism in a real conservative free market way by, by noting, by pinning the blame on the lobbyists. See, the lobbyists will always protect the status quo. And everyone is operating on, under the assumption that we're going to have the existing regulatory climate of health care and health insurance. And therefore, everyone's, you know, the, uh, yeah, your op- options are very limited because prices are high and you take away the subsidies so then people are going to feel the pain. Well, what do you do? But if Trump would call in all of the healthcare executives, and I know he just met with them, and I'm sure he didn't say this, but he, he needs to do it again and he needs to say this. And, and, and you know, tr- Trump has been, you, you know, his thing of calling in CEOs and browbeating them not into not outsourcing and threatening them. That's not a good that's not a good way of using your bully pulpit, but here's a good way of actually doing that. You know, one of the big things is we need certainty in the market and you know, everyone's operating under different assumptions. He needs to call them in and say, "Here's the deal, folks. The era of venture socialism 
in healthcare is over. In other words, the era of using of of lobbyists and private enterprise and 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 medical associations using the boot of government to box out competition, to box out choice, and to harness the regulatory climate to their benefit while ensuring a steady stream of government subsidies both to the consumer and to the provider, that era is over. No more regs, no more subsidies. So you guys are going to have to go out and innovate and compete with each other directly for the consumer. Oh, and by the way, no more antitrust exemption. That's one of my 20 ideas. McCrory-Ferguson gets repealed, and therefore you guys will have to deal with new innovators. You know, one of the interesting things is if you look at um, just in general, most of the innovation, it hasn't come from a competitor. You know, you have Coke and Pepsi. It hasn't come from one or the other. It's come from a new kid on the block. You know, what Walmart did to the traditional um, you know, department stores. What Southwest Airlines did to United and others. What Amazon did to, you know... Um, some of the existing ones. What 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 uh, Uber did to the to the cabs coming coming along. What uh, what do you call it? Um, Apple did to you know other other tech companies. That needs to happen. We have the right to do that. You know, as I was researching just more free market journals and some of my observations and and putting pen to paper. It, this is going to take the form of, you know, just a, an article where I just outline it with, you know, about 1,200 words and then maybe a 12, it's going to link to a 12-page PDF. Again, it's not written very cumbersome because, you know, I'm not like that. The same way I taught, I, I, same thing I do with the legal profession, I'm going to do with the medical profession, the medical industry, you know, apply the common sense that, you know, I've guess I've been known to employ just to speak to the common sense of these ideas, these issues. And uh, you guys are smart. You guys know this already. And and please tweet me at RM Conservative. Please send me emails. What ideas you have, on um, what you've experienced, especially if you're in the profession, on um, how the established institutions and the AMA, American Medical Medical Association, has boxed out competition and how regulation kills us and and different innovative ideas. I'm starting with twenty, but the sky's the limit. I'm gonna deliver them to members of Congress and other people and Freedom Caucus guys and and you know, hopefully Trump administration officials and see where this goes. But this is what needs to happen. And, and like I said, Trump would be the best ambassador. I want to, I want to, by the way, a couple, couple other notes on this. I want to, want to point out here. I'm going to link to, um, you guys may have seen it. This came out in 2010. It's, it's, it's really old, but, uh, I'm forgetting who put this out on YouTube. I'll, I'll credit the individual, um, if airlines worked like like healthcare, it's a really funny seven minute um, you know actors play out a scene of someone calling up an airline and they check your insurance, your airfare insurance, and it's really funny and and it just demonstrates what a stupid dumpster fire this industry has become, um, all thanks to venture socialism. And uh, I mean, it, it, it runs like I said, I said this on a show earlier today on a radio program. <laughs> it runs like a mini bar in a hotel room. <laughs> and that that's what it is. Um, that's what it looks like. But anyway, um, you know, Trump could harness this degree of populism 
And one of the things he needs to do is rail against the AMA. I have no easy way of saying this. The American, the AMA are a bunch of bastards. They are to the medical profession what the American Bar Association is to the legal profession. They have destroyed it. They have used their clout to basically get propped up by the government to codify and enshrine the status quo of in, in, into law. The same way you have incumbency, incumbency in politics, you, you could have it in other industries. And that's fine if you want to do what you can legally and with the marketplace to box out competition. Do it by providing better, you know, better quality uh, products and services at, at lower costs. But to use the boot of government to do that is what we call venture socialism here. Jim DeMint originally coined that term, I believe. And the AMA, so, you know, you have this, I'm going to have this in my report, but the scope of practice limitations on nurse practitioners, um, the all the restrictions on specialty hospitals starting out. It's almost impossible to start your own hospital now. It's all the power of incumbency. Um, preventing for-profit corporations from owning healthcare and, you know, employing physicians and providing healthcare, which is really how you, the only way to get innovation, you got to move it away from the nonprofit. You know, you, you, you imagine, um, professor John Cochran, uh, a guy I want to have on this podcast. I reached out to him, by the way, university of Chicago, um, department of economics. He's written some great stuff and I cite him in my report one of the things he mentions is imagine if when Southwest wanted to innovate against United, if United were a nonprofit and enjoyed the tendentious tax and regulatory policies that come with it, that come with a nonprofit. I mean, yeah, Southwest couldn't compete. But I want to end by reading you, and, and, and this is something I wish Trump would do in a speech. My colleague, Logan Albright, um, brilliant um, free market thinker, he wrote an article a while back, and I'm going to link to it. It's not, not from Conservative Review, just an example of this venture socialism sponsored by the AMA and what they have done on a state – mainly on a state level, and a lot of this innovation has come on a state level. But I, ju- I just want to just, – just beautifully what describes venture socialism. And I'm, I'm going to read you a few paragraphs here. We are generally brought up to believe that monopolies are bad. The very word conjures up images of tight-fisted tycoons and top hats and monocles squeezing employees and consumers alike for all they're worth. While natural monopolies resulting from superior business models get an unfairly bad rap, people's capacity for critical thought seems to inexplicably switch off when confronted with those monopolies which are created and supported by government. The case of healthcare regulations is an inter- interesting one, as state governments have empowered private medical boards with unilateral authority to set the rules for the medical profession, including the issuing and revoking of medical licenses. These boards, uh, boards effectively function like government regulatory agencies with the important difference that they lack the opportunity for public comments, and I would argue elections too, and thus are immune from any political pressure from citizens. If the EPA or the IRS implements a regulation that the public doesn't like, there's a political process by which they can voice their discontent and theoretically make an impact on the decision. In fact, this happens rather frequently, and although there is still too little accountability for regulatory czars, at least the opportunity exists for political action. 
with state medical boards, no such process exists. And there's little transparency in the rulemaking process that determines how doctors must operate. If a particular regulation is harmful, doctors and patients have no real alternative other than moving to a different state with different requirements and impractical solutions, to say the least. And, and the truth is most states have it anyway. And he ends off by saying the fact that these medical boards are private rather than public entities is supposed to make us feel more free. You know, we all love private. But in fact, most members of these boards are appointed by state governors when state laws forbid competition among regulators and signal that the government will regard as binding anything the medical board decides to do, the distinction between public and private becomes meaningless. End quote. And and, and it's actually worse, as he notes, because, um, you know, there, there's no there's no recourse. Who demands that these people sit on the board? Who created who creates these laws? And who puts their people on? The AMA. Just like the ABA, um, in many states, I know Oklahoma is like that, um, they basically, make, th- th- it's written into law that they make the recommendations to the governor to select the judges for, for the state Supreme Court. <laughs> and, and by the way, and you, know, as, as you remember my podcast from last week, it's not just the market forces that they stifle. It's their liberal, just social agenda as well. The AMA are, are, is responsible for forcing doctors to ask patients if they if they own a gun. And, and there's many other examples of this. So send me your notes. I'd love to know if you work in the profession, your thoughts on some of this. God willing, I'm going to come out with my plan next week. I'm going to do everything I can to get this to the administration, members of Congress. Um, just the rhetoric, the talking points and ideas we could only hope and wish we had a party that that spoke like this. But anyway, um, want you guys to great segue. By the way, um, ours one of our sponsors is the Freedom Fest. Um, it's taking place in Las Vegas, as you know, in July. It's the world's largest and most successful liberty conference. It is a trade show for free markets and liberty. Steve Forbes will be there. He calls the Freedom Fest the gold standard of conferences. Celebrating their 10th anniversary, register today using promo code CRTV100. Get $100 off the regular registration rate. Go to freedomfest.com, www.freedomfest.com, 855-850-3733. Heck, you know, maybe you could get some good free market healthcare ideas. I'm sure that's going to be discussed there. Also, please sign up for CRTV. This is the first week of Steve Dace joining Michelle Malkin and Steve Crowder and, of course, the great one, Mark Levin. Um, some of you saw me. Now you could, uh, instead of hearing me on Steve Dace, you could see my face, which, by the way, is a face for radio. <laughs> I was on Fox Business this week, uh, and um, I know some of you saw me there. I just, I hate it. I hate TV. And by the way, you know, it took a half an hour to get out these points. It, it's taken thousands of words of writings over over the years I've written to to build on these ideas. This business of having these two minute segments where you have two people debating and you get in three second sound bites, this is the dumbing down of America. I hate TV, but whatever. I mean, Fox Business is better than Fox News, so I was happy to join Lou Dobbs. Probably do it again, but anyway. Support CRTV, Freedom Fest, free market ideas, sovereignty, security, society. Make populism, constitutional populism, free market populism. 
this is Trump's opportunity. He needs to listen to we the people, and then we the people will back him. It's time to take our government back. It's time to take our health care back. It's time to take our borders back. It's time to end venture socialism. Till next week, thank you for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.